Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Cup of Tavir. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All, all are welcome except for Dennis Raider. <laughs> My name is Tyler. I'm your host and I talk about weird, strange, wonderful things. And I'm really glad that you've joined me today. This is a podcast about strange, wonderful, not wonderful at all, actually. Just generally strange, weird things that are normally considered taboo to, ch like to chat about around a dinner table. If you live in a normal family or have normal friends. <laughs> I wanted to start this podcast because I enjoy this kind of stuff. I'm just your average makeup artist who just enjoys learning about serial killers. And I had no one to talk about it with, so I thought, let me talk to a microphone and share it with the five people who are friends with me. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I just wanted to say how's it to everyone. And I hope everyone's doing great. I recorded this whole thing this morning. Made me very late for work. And then when I listened to it, it was not good. I will tell you that much. It was, unfortunately... I'm not very good at this yet, and my sound quality is quite horrible. Even now, I don't think I'm very happy with it, but I unfortunately sit in a room that is very almost empty. It's full of like stuff, but like the floors are laminated, and there's like hardly any pictures on the walls, and there's no curtains, it's blind, so everything's very echoey. So if I sound like I'm in a fishbowl, it's because I basically am in a fishbowl. That is a bedroom. I'll fix it one day. I even made like a little sound booth thingy with egg cartons, but that fell apart. So my engineering skills need to be fixed. They need to be worked on. Anyway, I feel like I've spoken enough. I will be talking about Dana's radar. Radar. Radar today. He's also known as BTK. He is one of the most infamous killers the world has ever heard of. And he's an absolute moron. But anyway, I hope that you're ready for your weekly dose of strange, creepy, unusual murder. Served in your cup of taboo. Also, I this will probably be a two to three part series, if you will. Because there is a lot of stuff and I've done so much research. I've read two books in the space of like four days. I'm super proud of myself. I mean, sure, nightmare-inducing stuff, but look at me go. Freaking smarty pants. Warning. The following podcast contains extremely graphic descriptions of torture and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, so, Dennis Butthead Raider. That's his actual name. No, I'm just kidding. It's Dennis Lynn Raider. Yeah, Dennis Lynn Raider. I'm still going to stick with the Butthead, though, because... He's the moron. You'll see. You'll see why he affects me so shortly. I mean, he's terrifying. The things that he did were disgusting and are actually just the worst things ever. But he was just such a buffoon the entire time. It's it's difficult to not have this. I don't know. I don't know if hatred's the right word, but this. You, I just look at him and I'm like, how, dude? How did you do this? I don't understand. How did you get all this right? But anyway, he was born in 
on the 9th of March, 1945 in Kansas, which was where Dorothy was from. In The Wizard of Oz, remember, besides the point, that means he's a Pisces. Mm-hmm. For any of my astrology people out there, astronomy, astrology. I, side note, don't know anything about astrology at all. However, while I was researching this, a little article happened to pop up and mention that the foremost likely signs to become serial killers are Pisces, Gemini, Virgo, 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 and Sagittarius. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I see you. He was the oldest of four boys, and they grew up in a very Christian household. And he apparently had a really decent upbringing. He even said so himself. He said that there was nothing to complain about, nothing to, nothing weird that he could think of. But he did say that he started having weird fantasies at a very young age, and he can't put a finger on why. But he was very awkward, and you know he was like an awkward turtle, kind of just turtling around. He actually kind of looks like a turtle now as an adult. <laughs> anyway, he did. They, people did say that he didn't really have a sense of humor, but that you know he was quiet and he was a good boy. He didn't do anything bad. He attended church regularly. He was a boy scout. He did all of the things that young boys should do. I don't have my mouse. Hold on, let me get it. So, where was I? Yes, so as I said, he started having sexual fantasies really early on in life, which he described as being different to what normal boys have. When most boys were like, hmm, that woman has boobs and I like them. Dennis used to think, ooh, I wonder what it would be like to strangle her. Yeah. The sky is dark. He was in the U.S. Air Force in the late 60s and early 70s. And I hate admitting it, but back when he was a youth, well, in his young young days, in his 20s, he was not a bad-looking guy, which I hate saying those words. There's photos of him where he almost looks like a little bit like Tom Cruise, who I don't like at all, but... I think it's maybe the Air Force jacket. It's kind of like, oh, okay, you're not bad. But, I mean, he did turn out to look like, as I said, a turtle earlier. I mean, later. So, there is that. Anyway, back to his childhood. Apparently, he was dropped on his head as a as a, an infant. And he also said that his mother fell off a horse while she was pregnant with him. So, I don't know if those head injuries possibly had anything to do with how he is. But um, just saying, it seems like it could possibly be high. It's something to look at. On the 22nd of May, 1971, he married a lady named Paula Dietz, who was a quiet lady, and they met at church. Dennis was madly in love with her. They, she didn't know that he was a freak. But they, they married and they settled in Park City, which is a little town close to Wichita. Wichita, Wichita, whichever. Dennis said that during his youth, he did have all these fantasies and he, while he was in the Air Force, he did sleep with a bunch of prostitutes and he would sometimes pay them extra to allow him to hold their hands behind his back, or their back, sorry, and that apparently excited him quite a lot. 
but he didn't ever act out any of these fantasies on his wife, must be told. He did say that he tried to hold her hands behind her back once, and she didn't like it. So with her, he was fully vanilla. Perfectly normal, apparently. He also said that an older woman taught him how to what, make love good, I think he said. Which is gross. He decided to start off with a bang. And he did not hold back. And I must let you know, trigger warning. This first incident has a... A, not a, this first incident involves children, so that is just letting you know, it's quite rough, it's very rough. A lot of the source material I got was from a book called Find, Torture, Kill, which was written by a journalist and some policemen. Uh, it fo focuses a lot on the behind the scene details, so go check it out. I will link it in my show, no show, show notes on the website, but yeah, go check it out, it's really good. So, on the 15th of January, 1974, Dennis Radar, Radar, Lepan, why do I keep saying that? Dennis Radar walked into the home of the Otero family and he destroyed their lives forever. He had been stalking the family for weeks, so he knew their schedules and he knew that the mom, Julie Otero, should be home alone with her two youngest kids from around 8am to 8.45am. He knew this because he watched them for weeks. He knew that the dad, Joseph, would take the older three kids to school between 8 and 8.45 and then he would go to work. So he knew that Julie was going to be alone with her two youngest kids. At the time, Julie was 33 years old. She had five children. They were Charlie, who was 15, Danny was 14, Carmen 13, Josephine was 11 and Joseph Jr. was 9. It's a lot of children for such a young mom. I mean, I'm nearly 33. I'm not even, I mean, I'm not, but. Still, to have five children at that age, that's, oh, shit, it's a lot. Anyway, she was married to Joseph Otero, who was 38, and they had moved to Wichita because he had got a job working on the aeroplanes. Wichita was a very big area at this point for plane maintenance and all that such stuff, that kind of thing, you know, the fancy plane stuff. They had moved from Puerto Rico in 1974, only two months before Dennis Rader attacked. Dennis said that he saw Julie and Josephine while he was driving his wife to work one day uh, because, you know, she just didn't like driving in the snow. So old Denny over here, being the good husband that he was, was like, let me take it, babe, it's fine. I'll do it. And while he was driving his wife to work, he saw Julie and Josephine walking and he was like, ooh. Yes. At this point, he started stalking them, taking notes, learning all the details of their lives. Which is why he decided that he would break in just after eight, when the husband, Joseph, wasn't at home. And now, he's just, just at this point, <laughs> let me just quickly terrify everyone. Raider was only 28 years old. I'm 28 years old now. How do you have these thoughts at 28 years old? I don't understand. I... D I mean, it's creepy. It's very creepy. Like, okay, because when you see him, he's old. He's like an old man. So it's just weird to think that he was so young when he started. So at this point, he said that he was obsessed with pornography. Um, not, not like actual porn porn. He used to, he called them slick ads. He would cut out newspaper ads and draw like 
like bindings on them. And he also had a nickname for his penis. I don't think you <laughs> I don't think you're ready for, for what he called it. Are you ready? He called his penis Sparky. <laughs> Why dinner? Why Sparky? Of all the things. I mean Philippe, maybe. Oh I don't know. I don't know. Anything but Sparky. But anyway, he had these weird fantasies and he had like this fantasy world that he would go into. He believed he was like a spy and a like a super spy and he literally in his writings after he was caught he he speaks like he's so cool and what he would do is he would study detective magazines so that he could learn how to do things. He he had the mind of a teenage boy in the way that he did everything. It's so bizarre. But later on he claimed that Josephine Otero the 11 year old girl was perfect and she was made for sparky big time which i'll explain later when he arrived at the otero house that morning he noticed that there were dog prints in the snow which made him a little nervous understandably however he did like dogs so i mean you know he was like okay well i guess there's a dog i'm gonna carry on with this he went around back and tried to get in through the back door but it was locked so what he did is he took his hunting knife and he cut the phone line which was against the side of the house and then suddenly the back door opened and joseph jr the little boy was standing there with their dog i'm assuming he was taking it out to be or something i don't know dennis pulled the gun out of his pocket and he pointed it at joseph jr and he ushered him into the house where he saw joseph senior who was still at home what had happened was Joseph Sr. had had a car accident and he had broken a few ribs, so he couldn't work. And Dennis didn't know. He didn't notice, and he was already screwing this up, and he freaked out. Like, nothing was going to plan for him. He thought he had it all under control. He stalked him for weeks, and he thought he knew everything. No, no, Dennis. No. Anyway, the dog was barking. The kids were freaking out. The parents were freaking out. He tried to calm everyone down. He eventually said, listen... I am a wanted criminal. I don't want to hurt you guys. All I want to do is take some of your stuff and then I'll leave. Don't worry. That's it. So this is something that he would do is he would try and calm his victims down because he said that they were easier to manage that way. Now, because the dog was barking, he said, put the dog outside. And they said, nobody's it's cold. So he said, okay, fine. So they put him in the bedroom. Dog carried on barking. He said, no, please take the dog outside. Eventually, Joseph Sr. took the dog outside, closed the door, and came back in. And at this point, they said to him that they didn't have any money, their car was low on gas, and he said, no, it's fine. You know, then Joseph Sr. said, you can take the radio, maybe you can pawn it for a bit of money, I don't know. So what he did is he tied the adults up first um, around their ankles and wrists, and then he went and tied the children up in different rooms. And the family actually complained that the bindings were too tight. So what he did is he was like, okay, I'm an guy. I'll loosen these for you. So he loosened the bindings on their wrists, made it a little bit more comfortable for them. And then he went to the dad, Joseph Sr. And he, he laid out a parka, like a jacket for him to lie on with, with a pillow because he knew that his ribs were broken. Such a nice guy, Dennis. Wow. So damn generous. 
you know what also would have been nice not doing this in the first place i'm just saying okay thank you so he even said that he was a decent human i mean look at how he made them so comfortable no dude what the no so once everyone was bound he decided he was going to strangle them but because he was a bumbling buffoon he wasn't even able to do this right he strangled mrs otero and he assumed that she was dead so he then went to mr otero and well he then tried to also strangle the kids then he went to mr otero and tried to strangle him he realized that his hands were really sore and tired so he went and he got a plastic bag and he pulled that over mr otero's head and what happened was joseph had managed to actually bite through the bag but at this point um mrs otero had woken up because he didn't manage to kill her and so he was like oh crap so he had to go back to mrs otero and re-strangle her so he then re-strangled her but i think at this point he used the rope i think he used telephone wire and he realized that mr otero was now he had bitten through the bag so he went back to him put a t-shirt over his head and then put another bag over him and then tied that bag off with rope. So at this point that did work and he ended up passing away. So he then took Joseph Jr. to a different room and what he did is he put a t-shirt over his head, also tied a plastic bag over his head and he tightened that cord. Joseph Jr. suffocated and fell off the bed. But the police found uh, imprints of a chair in the carpet and they looked like they were fresh imprints and it was speculated that Dennis had actually sat and watched Joseph Jr. as he, as he died, as he suffocated. But he did write in his letters later on that that's not true. He says he probably just put the child in the chair while he was tying him up or something like that. He can't remember, which I also think is a bit of bull because he remembers things to the finest detail. This guy's got a memory of him, but he plays dumb for parts that make it sound like really horrible. So he then went to his final victim of the day, Josephine Otero. He took her to the basement and I mean, he had strangled her and she passed out. And at this point she was awake, but lethargic. So he took her down to the basement and he had made a noose and he attached it to a pipe in the basement. Uh, her hands and her feet were bound and he knew that the pipe in the basement would hold her because he practiced autoerotic asphyxiation. So he used to asphyxiate himself for pleasure and he had done it many times in his parents' basement so he knew that that pipe would hold a human. So he asked her if her parents had a camera. She said no. He then hanged her on the pipe and he lifted her shirt, cut her bra open, pulled her panties down, and masturbated. He orgasmed on her thigh, and some of it got onto the floor. He referred to this as Sparky Big Time, his orgasm, which he said she would be perfect for. He's disgusting. He's an absolute freaking monster, and I can't stand him. Now, this is just his first... So this was his first murder, but he happened to kill four people in his first murder. What he did then is he cleaned up the house and he turned the heat up because he read somewhere in a detective novel that the, turning the heat up will mess with the time of decomposition. And had a glass of water, wiped it down, put the glass away. And he then took their car, as well as Mr. Otero's watch and a radio, 
and he drove the car to a nearby Dillon's, which I think is a supermarket. I'm not sure. Americans, you can let me know. He drove the car there and he parked it. And when he did, he moved the seat forward so that they wouldn't be able to tell his height. And he wiped everything down and then threw the keys into, I think it was a gutter. At this point, he got into his own car and he realized that he'd left the knife somewhere. He was like, oh, damn, where's my knife? What did I do with it? I am an idiot. So he then realized, well, he better go back and look. So he drove his own car back to the Otero house and he parked it in their garage. And then he walked around the back and found that he had left his knife by the telephone board because he's a moron like I said absolute dumbass I don't know how he is such a dumb human being but yet still manages to get away with so many things and I think maybe it's because he's just so doof and so oblivious to everything that that's how he got away because like if he can't even figure it out how are the cops gonna figure it out you know anyway I mean I'm not even that far yet spoiler <laughs> yeah after that he then took his rope drawings all those things because what he would do is he would make drawings of what he wanted to do plans he took that all to the woods and he burnt it which he said was very tough because it was his first time and he didn't want to but he knew he had to he then changed clothes and went back to his wife who didn't know anything she was oblivious like I can't imagine that. I mean, it's tough. Stephen King actually wrote a novel based on this. I'm just saying. I don't remember what it's called, but I'll find out and tell you in the next episode. But, yeah, so he also had a, a fantasy, he said later, that uh, he had fantasized about enslaving the Otero family after death. So he had this weird thing that he wanted like torture Thing, a torture barn, if you will. Uh, he was obsessed with H.H. Holmes's uh, murder hotel. And he was like, I want that, but I want it to be on a farm. I want it in a barn. And he thought that silos were sexy, so he wanted to turn a silo into a torture chamber thing, which is gross. So yeah, he had this fantasy for weeks afterwards of enslaving the Otero family there in one of his fantasy barns. I don't know. He also wore Mr. Otero's watch all the time, which also freaks me out. That's just disrespect. It's such a power play. So what happened was the other three Otero children arrived home from school that afternoon. The younger two went inside and the older one had noticed that the dog was outside, which was weird to him because they never left him outside. He went inside and he noticed that his mother's purse was lying, lying strewn about and this was very... Unlike her, the younger siblings came to call him and they said, listen, Charlie, mom and dad are playing a sick game. Come quickly. And he walked in and he realized that they were dead. And what happened was he tried to call the police, but the phone was dead. So he ran to his neighbors and he asked them for help. All he kept saying was that they had to keep Joseph Jr. and Josephine out of the house, that they couldn't see them like this, that they couldn't see their parents like this, because he didn't know that they were already in the house dead. Charlie, the oldest brother, or the youngest son, who was set to going to college, all that kind of stuff, actually ended up 
turning to drugs. He ended up in prison. It's actually incredibly sad. There's a couple interviews with him. It's just heartbreaking. So the police were stumped after this murder. They had a few suspicions. Spoiler warning. They were wrong. But they believed that this had been someone that the Otero family knew. They thought perhaps there were drugs involved. And they thought that perhaps there was a mob hit. All wrong. Little did they know that this guy that had just murdered four people in cold blood to get his rocks off had done it. Like the sick, twisted monster that he is. They published the murder in the newspaper and Dennis collected these articles and hid them in his hidey holes. Yep, that's what he called the places where he would stash his sick memorabilia. Hidey holes. Because him, he's a child. I got my hidey holes and I'm going to hide my things in my hidey holes. So, I don't know why, but I always just go full-on text when I read hide holes. <laughs> he also, in his... Ooh, ooh, it was nearly a disaster. I nearly pulled everything off the desk. <laughs> Whoops. Dennis never stopped fantasizing. Um, he probably still fantasizes to this day. Yep. He's still alive. He's in prison. I think he's in his 70s, 80s now. I don't know. I don't want to do the maths. It's too late. Um, the Untold Story of Dennis Rader by Dr. Catherine Ramsland corresponds with Dennis through letters. And in this, in these letters, he comments on how often he would imagine or fantasize about torturing or binding different women. He says that he still imagines it today. So on the 4th of April in 1974, Rader attacked again. After the Otero murders, he was, as he called it, trolling for a new victim, which he called a project so he had different project names for each of his potential victims. So he actually called the Oteros, the Oteros Project Little Mix because of Josephine. He, because they were Puerto Rican, Little Mix, Little Mexican. He spotted Catherine Bright one day while he was out with his wife for lunch. It's like every time he's with poor Paula, just doing her thing, and he sees his next victim, and he's like, Yes, I sit here with my wife, but I want that one. I want to murder her, because he's a sicko. <laughs> this is in, is in his words, in quotes. She fit my fantasy profile, a co-ed, dishwater blonde, small. I saw her go in the house, and I thought, that's a possibility. Now, first of all, dishwater blonde. What kind of blonde is that? Nobody wants to be dishwater blonde. That's like green. No, probably not green, but still. Like, you, are you trying to compliment her? Because I don't understand. Anyway, he was also obsessed with the number three, and he realized that her address was 3217 East 13th Street, which had two threes in it, and he was like, oh my gosh, yes. This got him super excited. So he decided to call Catherine Project Lights Out. Don't know why. In his stalking, he came to the conclusion that she lived alone with no men in the house, no children, and no dog. Also, this is exactly what he wanted. He was like, this is going to be perfect. He also had come up with a ruse that he was going to go up to her door under the guise of needing a tutor. Genius man, Dennis. As we know, nothing goes well for Dennis. Nothing at all. Also, sorry, side note, 
After the Otero murders, he realized that his hands were not strong enough for the strangling, so he got a stress ball that said, life is good on it, and he used to sit there and strengthen his hands by squeezing it while he watched TV, you know? He would he would do it every day, like, like, a, like a strong man, you know? I make my hands strong. And uh, he also collected a lot of pictures and other items to store away in his hiding holes. Sorry, I just had to put that in there. So on the 4th of April, Radar went to Catherine's home and he saw that her car was already there, so he assumed that she was at home. And he went to he went to knock on the door with his roots of being a student in need. But no one answered. So this frustrated him. So he went around the back and instead of actually thinking and walking away, he just broke the window in the back door and broke in. But as he climbed through, he accidentally shot off a single shot from his gun. Now, I don't understand how he can be so bad but get away with so much. So anyway, he gets in. He's like, oh, crap, what if she smells the gunpowder? So he walks around to just check the place out a bit. He, he looks at the kitchen and he's like, oh, I better clean up that glass. What if she sees it and runs away? So he cleans up the glass, moves the pot plant in front of it or whatever, hides everything, has a glass of water because that's his thing, apparently. Need to stay hydrated. And he then um, waited. So he wanted to figure out which spot he would do his dirty in and settled in the bedroom and at that point he heard that she had arrived home but she was talking to someone and it was a male and just you know as life has it she walked inside with another man so Rado didn't expect this and he freaked out it was her brother Kevin so you know and they entered the front door and he stood there held out his gun and he was like don't move which he realized is dumb because they were still in the open door that could have run away but anyway they didn't and he pulled them inside closed the door and used the same story that he did on the Oteros that he was a wanted criminal and that all he wanted to do was take their stuff and their money in the car and he would be on his merry way he unfortunately for him did not bring his head kit the bag with all of his ropes and stuff in it with to this um pit because he thought that Catherine would be easy. He thought that she he would be able to overpower her because she was going to be alone. So all he bought was a gun in his shoulder holster, another gun in his pocket, and a knife. That's what he bought. So what he did is he found things in the house like stockings and t-shirts and cloths, and then he tied the two up. So he tied Kevin to the bedpost and he bound his hands and asked him if he had any money, you know, to like stick to the story because you know he's an actor he was like yeah i'm gonna make him think it's a robbery store so he took three dollars from kevin and then uh he went and he tied Catherine to a chair in the other room so what he did after that would creep me out he turned the radio on as loud as it would go which at that point i think i would be if i was tied up that's that's when you know some shit's about to go down and i don't want to be involved with that at all ever so he did mention that strangling makes noises and he didn't want those noises to be heard. What a freak. I just, I can't. So he decided that he needed to eliminate the bigger threat first. So he went to Kevin, who was only 19 at the time, and he tried to strangle him with a nylon stocking. But this is where it gets insane. 
Like it sounds like something that absolutely cannot happen, but it did. Um, so, and also because Dennis Radar is a moron and he can't do anything right, it just almost makes it comical. It's not funny in any way, shape, or form, but just this situation, just picture it happening. He tries to strangle Kevin, and Kevin managed to break his feet free from the bed, and he charged at Radar, who got spooked and then shot him in the head. So Kevin fell to the floor, blood pouring out of his wound, but he wasn't dead. This guy. So at this point, Radar was like, oh yeah, he's dead, it's fine. So he went to Catherine, who's now like freaking out because she heard the gunshot. And he's like, no, don't just chill, man. It's, it wasn't fatal. He's trying to calm her down because remember, this is just a robbery. He's not planning on doing anything. He's like, I just needed to subdue him. He's fine. So he was like, but actually, I'll, I'll go make sure. So he went back to Kevin and he like kicked him while he was on the floor. And this is where Kevin, the almighty, jumped back up and he charged at Raider again. So they got into a scuffle. And Dennis said that they were fighting. So Kevin grabbed Raider's other gun, which was on the shoulder holster, and he tried to shoot Dennis, but then Dennis says that he stuck his finger in the in the shooty hole. What's it called? You know, the the shooting end of the gun. Dennis said that he stuck his finger in there and it jammed the gun. Which I somehow doubt that a finger would stop a bullet. So just saying, it probably just jammed on its own. Putting it out there. So at this point, Dennis took the opportunity and he then shot Kevin in the head again. So Kevin now fell to the floor and Dennis at this point was like, screw you man, and he hit him in the head, which ugh, caused two teeth to be broken out of his mouth, which, ugh, gross. So at this point, he ran back to where Catherine was and now she was completely freaking out, and he grabbed a cloth and he tried to strangle her. But she also managed to break free from her bindings, and they were full-on wrestling. And he actually said later on, he recalls her fighting like a, quote, hellcat, unquote. So good for you, Catherine, you freaking legend. You fought, which is damn well fantastic. Never give up anyone. Always freaking fight. He was eventually he gave up with the trying to strangle her thing. She was fighting hard. He was getting tired. So he pulled out his knife from his pocket and he stabbed her in the back. He then turned her around and stabbed her in the stomach. He had read somewhere that stabbing up through the stomach into the lungs is the most effective way to kill someone. So that's what he did. And she carried on fighting. She didn't stop. So eventually when she did sort of give up a little bit, he like sort of he let her on, like down on the floor and she was struggling. And then he heard a noise coming from the other room. So he ran to see what it was. It was mother effing Kevin who still was not dead. I can't. It's, uh, good for Kevin. What a fighter, man. So this guy managed to escape. And when Dennis looked out the window, he was running down the street to go and find help. So Raider went back to check on Catherine, who also was not dead yet. He left her lying on the floor, moaning in pain and bleeding. What happened was Kevin had alerted two neighbors to what had happened and they called the police. And when the police got there, Dennis was gone. Catherine was still alive, but barely. 
she did manage to let them know that she was only 21 years old and she unfortunately passed away four hours later. Kevin managed to make a full recovery after being shot twice in the head and beaten. And in his statement, he mentioned how much his attacker had been sweating, which is nasty. Imagine you've got this sweaty guy coming at you. Like, you sir, don't touch me. Ew. Go, go take a shower. Thank you. And he also mentioned that he was tall with dark hair. The cops considered that this might have a connection to the Otero case, but, you know, it was slightly different for Emo. He didn't use any rope. He stabbed someone. The phone line wasn't cut. So they were like, eh, eh, I don't know. So what Breda did is he ran to his car, drove to his parents' house, changed his clothes, hid the bloodstained clothes in a chicken coop, and went back home to his unsuspecting wife and acted completely normal. Monster. He was sure he would be caught because Kevin had survived and had seen him and was able to identify him because remember, he didn't wear any face coverings because he wanted to kill people. So he was like, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready to be arrested. But no one, nothing happened. He saw reports of the murder and what he did is he cut out Catherine's picture from the newspaper and he added it to his stash, to his hidey hole. Several months later, three men had said that they knew something about what happened in the Otero murders while they were in prison. So the police knew that they were talking rubbish, but, you know, they still published it somehow. <laughs> and Dennis saw the article and it enraged him. How dare these imposters take his story and make it their own? Oh, no, 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 no. He would not stand for that. So three days after the story was published, a journalist at the Eagle, which is the newspaper, got a phone call from a man with a harsh Midwestern accent. He said, listen and listen good. There is a letter about the Otero case in the book in the library. Then he hung up. I don't know if that was a Midwestern accent, but I'm going with it. So the reporter called the police because they had this, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a deal that they would tell the police if something like this happened because, you know, murderer is on the loop. So the police went to the library and they found the letter in the book, Applied Engineering Mechanics, just as the caller said it would be. Now, the letter was so badly written that the police thought that whoever had written it had some sort of a disability. And <laughs> I'm going to read it now. So it's difficult to read, even more difficult to listen to, but good luck. It went like this. La, la, la. I write this letter to you for the sake of the taxpayer as well as your time. Those three dude you have in custody are just talking to get publicity for the Otero murders. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself with no one's help. One. There has been no talk either. Let's put it straight. Josephine. Position. Hanging by the neck in the northwest part of the basement. Dryer or freezer north of her body. Bondage, hand tie it, blind cord, feet and lower knees, upper knees and waist with clothesline cord, all one link, spell wrong. Garrot, rough hemp rope, quarter diameter, noose with four or five turns, new. Clothes, dark bra, cut in the middle, sock. Death, strangulation once, hung. Comments, rest of her clothes. The bottom of the stairs, green pants and panties, her glasses in the southwest bedroom. 
I'm sorry this happened to society. There are the ones who suffer the most. It's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang-up. Where this monster into my brain, I will never know. But it's here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help, that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it, so the monster goes on and hurt me as well as society. Society can be thankful that there are many that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at time by day dreams of some victim being torture, torture and being mine. It's a big complicated game my friend of the monster play, putting victim's number down. Follow them, checking up on them, waiting in the dark, waiting, waiting, waiting. The pressure is great and sometimes he run the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. He has already chosen his next victim or victims. I don't know who they are yet. The next day after I read the paper, I will not, but it's too late. Good luck hunting. Yours truly, guiltily. P.S. Since sex criminals do not change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them. B.T.K. You see, he added again, they will be on the next victim. So this obviously disturbed the police. <laughs> it disturbs everyone. The killer was still out there, and after nine months, they were nowhere closer to catching him. But they had this. So they came up with a plan to try and communicate with him through the eagle, um, through the news. And they posted messages like, PTK, BTK, help is available, in hope that he would mess up and contact them. He never did. At this time, Raider was getting very busy, because, because of the recent fear in the area, ADT, the security company... They needed new alarm installers, and Dennis Rainer was hired for the job. Isn't that just so ironic? This guy, who is the reason that everyone is so scared, is now going to be the one putting the alarms in their houses. I mean, what? I don't... This it's just It sounds like something out of a movie. So he used to actually use this job to intensify his stalking and trolling as he called. So on July 26, 1975, Dennis and Paula had their first child, a son that they named Ryan. This newfound fatherhood also kept Dennis busy on top of working and studying at uh, Wichita State University. He was studying a administration of justice, just so you know, so he could understand the cops. He did not have time to do the murdering thing, you know. He said later that uh, the family had gotten away. You know, not the murdering got in the way of your family. Your family got in the way of murdering. You have a beautiful family, dude. You've got a job, you've got a house, you've got a wife, you've got a kid now. Crack it, just stop. Be better. Anyway, I think that I'm going to call it for part one. I hope that this has shown you what kind of a monster we're dealing with. And I hope that it uh, excites you for part two. Because I will try and record part two ASAP. And get it out as soon as possible as well, because I know waiting for these things is a pain in the butt, especially if it's something that intrigues you, which BTK intrigued the hell out of me. I mean, I've known about him for a long time. I mean, I remember seeing on Mindhunter, they depict him sort of like in the cutscenes. And I was like, oh, who is this guy? Oh. So after watching, who was a couple, when did Mindhunter stop? Last year or the year before? I was like, I must, I must research. So I did some research. Anyway, gave up on that and then 
now I'm here. I've read two books about him and found his videos. So I'm, I'm, I just need him out of my mind, to be honest. I want to talk about it, throw away the key. That's it. Anyway, please follow me on social media. On Facebook, it is Cup of Taboo. Instagram, it is Cup of Taboo underscore podcast. Uh, what else do I have? Any You can listen to this on any of the podcast platforms. If you could leave a review for me, that would be amazing. If you could follow me, that would be great. Like, I don't know how podcasts work, but if you could do the things that you do to podcasts, that would be nice. I would especially like a review. And I'd like, you know, let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear about. I'll, I'm, I enjoy researching. It's a lot of fun for me. And like I said, I will be working on my sound quality. So one day I will not be in this little submarine. I promise. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. Please, like I said, leave a review on my website, which is linked to everything. But in case you don't have it, it is cupoftaboo.com. Just that. <laughs> um, and I hope that you guys keep it real. And I will chat to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Ciao. Bye.